Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Renee Bingham. I am a first-year student at Randolph College, and I am currently undecided, but I have a special interest in philosophy. I would like to become a part of the legal system, whether that is being a lawyer or sitting on Capitol Hill voting on bills. I feel like having a knowledge in philosophy will help me along that path. The amazing artwork that I chose is a piece from Faith Ringgold's series called Coming to Jones Road, Part 2, Number 4. The story quote I will focus on is called Aunt Emmy and Uncle Tate. The work was made in 2010 and is currently on loan to the Mayor Museum at Randolph College. The story quote depicts an elderly African-American man and woman standing side by side. Both are wearing all white and standing in what looks to be a grassy forest. The couple are wearing white glasses, the older man is holding a cane, while the older woman in the picture is holding a purse. Above this couple are pink flowers growing on the trees, along with the sky above their head, which is painted red with a bit of blue right in the middle. Surrounding the outer part of the painting are words that say, Coming to Jones Road, Part 2, Number 4, Aunt Emmy and Uncle Tate. Aunt Emmy could be in two places at the same time, out back cutting wood for the fire and tending to them kids, stirring up trouble in the field. And Uncle Tate could vanish in a flash and show up in the same way. Well, one day they just up and walked to freedom and nobody seen them go. Nobody, not nobody, but Jesus. This creation was made in 2010 by a wonderful artist named Faith Ringgold. I want to talk a bit about the artist Faith Ringgold's life a bit more and discuss how she came to create such a wonderful piece of artwork. Faith Willie Jones was born October 8, 1930 in Harlem, New York. Her father was a minister while her mother was a fashion designer. She carries many titles, some of which are painter, mixed-media sculptor, performance artist, writer, teacher, and lecturer. She has earned a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in visual arts at the City College of New York. Further, Ringgold received 23 honorary doctorates, so to say that she was great would be such an understatement. According to Ringgold, she found her artist voice in the 60s when looking at an African mask. She started creating political artwork. As she continued with her art, she became an activist for feminism and anti-racism. She was a co-founder of many organizations, such as the Hoke Women's Art Committee and the Coast to Coast National Women Artists of Color. Faith Ringgold's created the Coming to Jones Road series at the start of 1999 as a work representing enslaved people escaping from slavery. The story behind the series is that in 1992, she and her husband moved from Harlem to Inglewood, New Jersey, to a place called Jones Road. She referred to how her maiden name was Jones, so she felt that she was supposed to be there. Her white neighbors, on the other hand, did not like the fact that she was there, and they made their feelings known to Ringgold's. To deal with and process the racial prejudice, she created the Coming to Jones Road series. Ringgold reflected on this later in her career by saying, Art is a healer, and the sheer beauty of living in a garden amidst trees, plants, and flowers 
has inspired me to look away from my neighbor's unfolded animosity towards me and focus my attentions on the stalwart traditions of black people who had come to New Jersey centuries before me. She also has two children by the name of Michelle Faith Wallace along with Barbara Faith Wallace. Today, I'm going to be talking about the history of my great-great-great-grandparents, George Washington Stephen and Hattie Mae Boyd. I never learned much about them at all, to be honest with you. In fact, I never even knew their names until now. But after getting all of my questions answered by my grandmother, I finally pieced their story together. My great-great-great-grandparents were farmers and sharecroppers in a small town known as Wedowie, Alabama. There, they had raised horses, chickens, pigs, and dogs, but it was not their land. Any profits that the farm made, 80% of that money would go to the white man whose land it was, which meant that they had to work twice as hard just to stay afloat, but they made it. They were unable to have children of their own, so they always took in anyone and everyone who needed to be taken care of. They raised my great-great-grandmother, also known as Gigi, and her five siblings when their parents died, when Gigi was only eight years old. Truthfully, my family came to discover many years later that only Gigi's mother had died. Her father left and ran away, but everybody said that he died so that people wouldn't know the truth. My Gigi ended up having my grandmother, Diane Slater, whom I call Nana. When my Nana was six months old, she was taken to live with Hattie and George because at the time, it was unsafe for my Nana to live with my Gigi. My Nana lived with them until she was 18 years old. Growing up in the South from 1951 to 1969, they faced significant discrimination. During my grandmother's youth, she had to watch as black Americans were forced to eat in the back of doors of restaurants or get spit on by white boys on the bus. Since my grandmother was only a baby when she went to live with them, she always assumed that they were her parents, and it was not until she was older that she found out that they were actually her cousins. My Nana says that they were the most caring people she had ever met. To illustrate their amazing character, she told me a story about a day when they saw a homeless man walking in the cold and invited that man to stay the night with him. Once my Nana turned 18, she went to go live with her mother, but they didn't stop taking care of anybody. One of the last things my great-great-great-grandmother said to my Nana was, y'all better take care of each other. In 1992, Hattie died in an accidental fire. When George got home, the house was in flames, and when he realized that she was still in the house, he tried to run in, but the neighbors stopped him. The only thing that they found that was left of her was her heart. He then had to move into a trailer with the white woman he once raised, but what is crazy is that the girl was delivered by his mother, who worked as a midwife. He later died due to pancreatic cancer. My grandmother never forgot about them and what they did for her. This brings me back to the connection between my family history and Ringgold's beautiful story quilt. One day, a friend called my Nana to tell her that she had seen a picture of Hattie and George being sold in an antique store in Widawi. My grandmother was shocked and furious. 
How could a stranger have a picture of them hanging up in their house without knowing anything about them or what they meant? She had to fight hard to get a hold of that picture. She called the store owner to explain everything, but they would not listen to her. And since she was in Virginia and the store was in Alabama, she had no way of getting to it. She had to call on the help of a childhood friend who lived down there, bought the painting, and sent it all the way back to Virginia. The work of art by Faith Ringles, to me, shows a very angelic and peaceful moment in time. I feel like it represents the death of Aunt Emmy and Uncle Tate, especially when they are all wearing white. During slavery, a lot of captured slaves would choose death over being enslaved and jumped off the boats and killed themselves. I feel as if this artwork, the death of the couple, is represented in that artwork. I chose this piece to talk about because it reminds me so much of the picture of my great-great-great-grandparents that was being sold in the antique shop. Their lives seem to assemble the same thing as well, although my great-great-great-grandparents weren't born slaves. They did go through the same struggles, though, both living in grassy fields and having tiny homes on that field and even dying out there on that field. I wish I could have met them and have had a relationship with them, but my mother and her two other siblings met them and have told me very happy memories about them. All three of them said the exact same, same thing about George Washington Stephen and Hattie Mae Boyd, that they always cared for others, and if there was something you needed, they were right there for you. Well, this concludes my podcast today. I would like to thank everyone for listening and see you next time.